Well, good morning again to you. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40 today. Matthew 22. 34 through 40, just kind of our multi-year walk through the gospel of Matthew. In fact, this summer, we're supposed to do summer in the Psalms, and we just kind of punted that, honestly, so we could finish Matthew this year, all right? So uh, if you're desperate for uh, summer in the Psalms, just come back 2024, all right? So uh, now, now in life, there are these moments where uh, you, you have this mental snapshot, we're in this age where we want to capture everything with our cameras, and I totally get it. In my day, you just had one of those disposable cameras that you would take to Eckerd. Yeah, 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 uh, Child of the 80s, let's go. And so I would, we would take these pictures to try to capture the memory, but you didn't know what the picture was going to look like until you got it, and you realized, boy, that was terrible. And nowadays, we take a thousand photos in a moment, and we can't remember those either. But there's these moments in life that you don't have a camera, but you can vividly remember the moment. I, I, I remember I had seen Abby before, but there was this time at Vita Hodge Hall, which was the, uh, the girls' dorm at Howard Payne where we went Stingham Jackets. And um, I remember this time, I knew of Abby, but it was this kind of coffee shop thing where she's singing, playing guitar. And that's where I noticed Abby. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you, you've seen that person before, but then you go, oh, no, no, I now see this person. And like, I want to get to know this person. I want to date. I want to marry this person. I mean, this is kind of the mentality. So I have this, I don't have a picture of it. I don't have a snap. Like, I have no picture of this, but in my mind, I know vividly this memory. There's another time my dad turned 40, and I remember that was when uh, we were at Golden Corral. That's, uh, he had uh, worked at a Golden Corral, and so we were at Golden Corral, and this lady comes in in all black, weeping and wailing because now my dad, his life was over, right? Uh, he's over the hill, which is now 50s. It's not the 40s anymore. Like when you're, when you're 80, that's when you're over the hill, okay? But, but the, the 40s were that time where everybody was like, oh, everything was black. Everybody had brown and black balloons, and this is your birthday. And so it was just this reality where I just remember vividly my dad being so old. And now I'm that age, and I'm going, that's not old at all. Super young. I remember graduating high school, and just this memory. I don't have a picture of my high school moment of sitting there in the audience with you know, 500 or 600 other graduates, but I just remember vividly that moment of going, I can't wait to get out of here. I mean, I just was this moment which so many of our high school seniors are experiencing that now. But there's these memories and these moments that you go, I just know this is significant. This is an important moment. And listen, friends, I love God's word. I believe God's word is inerrant. That means that it has no mixture of error. I believe God's word is sufficient for all of life and for truth and for salvation. I believe God's word is trustworthy, that you can read God's word and, and trust it. I believe that God's word is authoritative, that if all of life, it's our authority. I believe that God's word is clear, that it, it can be understood by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe those things about God's word. But there are these moments when I'm reading God's word that I step back and go, wait, something important just happened. Something memorable, something we should remember has happened right now in his word. Now, every word of God's word is, is true and should be dwelt upon, and every verse is important, but, but there's just these moments in God's word that I sit back and go, boy, something, something big just happened. What if, what if I told you that today in our text, that's what we find? 
We find this moment in God's Word, and the title of the message is The Greatest Question Ever. There's this moment where a question is asked of Jesus, he gives a response, and we can step back and go, boy, something, something important just happened here that we need to reflect upon. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in verse 34 of chapter 22 of Matthew. If you're there, will you say word? When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that's why they're sad, can't you see? They came together. And one of them, an expert of the law, asked the question to test him, teacher, which command? Which command of the law is the greatest? There's the question. There's the question. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the greatest, the most important command. The second is like, uh, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40 says, all the law and the prophets hinge or depend on these two commands. The first thing we see is a question. There's a question that's asked, and for us to understand the question, we got to understand the questioner. For us to understand the question, we got to understand the questioner. Now, we see in verse 34 that the, the Pharisees have noticed that the Sadducees have been sent away. They've been silenced. We heard this last week, and so you've got this moment where the Pharisees, who are probably the most stubborn and antagonistic to the mission and ministry of Jesus, they are now again plotting together to trap or test Jesus. This is just what they do. They're coming to Jesus with a question, but their underlying motive is to trap and test Jesus. So they've come and they ask this question, or they actually they, I don't know if they had straws that they pulled in the short end of the stick, got it? But, but look what it says in verse 35, it says an expert of the law. An expert of the law would be what we might term in our day, in which the gospel of Mark actually terms in his text, a lawyer. A lawyer. Well, you would hope, you would hope that a lawyer would be an expert in the law. Uh, if you find a lawyer who's, who's not very good at the law, I probably wouldn't encourage you to hire that lawyer. Uh, when I need legal help, I want to find somebody who has a better grasp of the law than I do. I'm not asking AI. I'm not asking Google. I'm asking somebody that I trust and I know who's a lawyer that understands the law better than I do. That's where I want to get my advice. And so they, they elect a, a lawyer. Now, this lawyer comes, and he comes to test. It says it here. He asks the question to test him. And he says, teacher. Now, teacher is a sign of respect. It's a sign of affirmation. There, there could be, as one commentator said, oh, this guy didn't really want to do it. I, I don't know his motives other than what Matthew tells us, that he came to test him. He came to put him up for the test. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus doesn't thump him on the head or pat him on the head like, oh, that's cute. Thanks for your question. Move on. Jesus isn't, isn't blowing back on them. Jesus knew this is what they did. Like, you got to remember, in that day, there was no reality TV. Like, they weren't gathering around going, who got the rose? Or, or in biblical, who got the lily of the valley? Who, who, got, who got it, right? Like, they weren't, they weren't debating this. They had no reality TV. Reality TV for them in those days, for the Jews and the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, was to debate the law. They, they just would debate, like, which was the most important. They would have this debate all the time. They would create these scenarios. And what they did is they went throughout the, old, the whole Old Testament, and they discovered, here's the 613 most important laws for you to follow. If we got honest and I sat down and I called one of you up and said, name all 10 commandments in order. 
Some of y'all just got nervous and I'm about to do that. I'm not going to do that. But it's as if they go to Jesus and say, hey, was, was number six or was it number 600 as the most important law? Which one, Jesus? I mean, again, the first commandment is you shout, thou, thou shalt, because I learned it in King James. I know that's some of the language of some of you in this room. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the number one. But there's a sense of, well, which one is it, Jesus? And they're trying to trap him because they think if they can, if they can get him to say one thing, then maybe it could cause him to fall into another area. And so they, they say, well, which one is it, Jesus? Which one of these laws is most important? Out of the 613, which one is it? So he says, teacher, he's showing him respect. Which command is it, Jesus? Which command? Now, Jesus doesn't skirt he, he doesn't evade. He doesn't do the matrix where he's like, you know, well, I can't go back that far. He's not, he's not bending back, avoiding the question. He's not telling a parable. So sometimes when Jesus asks the question, he tells a parable. He's just straight up answering the question. Look what he says. He gives us the part one of our answer. He says in verse 37, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. That's what he tells them. I mean, the first part of the answer, part, part one of his answer is to love God. Love God. Now, when they heard this, they would have immediately connected in their ears to something that was said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Aaron, our next-gen pastor, quotes this verse to the kids in our kids' children's ministry all the time, that you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your strength is what it says, and strength and mind are very similar in that regard, but he says, hey, you're to love the Lord your God with all of this. Now, now notice, notice what Jesus has said. He says, he says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, the, the goal that Jesus says to this lawyer is that if you want to know what the greatest command is, you are to love God with your all. Now, many of us are really good with loving God with most of our life, but few of us are good at loving God with all of our life. In fact, I would even say that the Part of the Bible, part of discipleship is, is to cause you to want to love God with your everything, to, to give God your all, to have him as your most important, to love God with everything. But he doesn't just leave us there to say, hey, you should love God. That, that sounds great. Just love God and you'll be fine. He says, love God with all of, you see what he, he says here? He says, he says, love God with all of your, your heart. He says, God, love with all your soul and love God with all of your mind. So he tells us how in which we're to love God with our all. He, he begins there with our, our heart. Now, Matthew 12, 34 has been already very clear to us. Uh, how do I know if I'm loving God with all of my heart? The way that you can gauge how you're loving God with all of your heart is, is what you talk about. Because Matthew 12, 34 says that out of the abundance, out of the overflow of your heart, so the mouth Speak. So a, a way in which we can gauge what our affections are turned to is based upon what we talk about. Last night I was putting my youngest to bed. It's just kind of a normal routine. And she said, hey, uh, can, you, uh, can you stay in the room for me for a little bit? Which is, which is fine. Because of technology, I can, I can bring the most important thing in my life in the moment was the Dallas Stars game was on. And most of you don't like hockey, and that's shame on you, but the, the Stars were on. And so I was, 
sitting in her room, and it's dark except for this bright, glowing light in my face, and, and all of a sudden, the, the stars took the lead, and, and instinctively, I waved my, my, I pumped my fist, and I think I threw my shoulder out, I was like, oh, that hurt, and then I went, yes, and she's like, what happened? She, I mean, she came up like, like the, the gr- Grim Reaper, I mean, she's like, whoo, what's going on? I mean, she was out, and I literally woke her up because out of a out of an overflow of my heart, so the mouth speaks. I was thrilled. Like, I don't have to conjure up emotion when, when the Cowboys are 8-0 at the beginning of the season. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're going to the Super Bowl. They're going to win, but then at the end of the year, they're 8-8, eight eight, like they are, they are every year. The reality is that I don't have to convince myself to talk about my, my favorite sports teams. I don't have to convince convince myself to talk about something that happened that was good in my life. I just instinctively do that. We all, we all do that. But loving God with our, with our heart is about where our affections are. And the gauge that we can look at that is what we actually talk about. What are we talking about? Like, for instance, if, if we were friends for a long time and I, 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 one day you run into me outside of kind of our normal conversations and you notice that there's this woman with me, and, and you go, well, well, who is that? I said, well, that's, that's my wife, Abby. And he's like, wait a minute, we've been friends for like a long time, and you've never mentioned your wife. That'd be kind of a problem, wouldn't it? It's like, well, well yeah, this is my wife. Well, you've never talked about her. Now, and then I'm, like, now I'm really in trouble, right? So, so, so let me ask, um, do your coworkers, like, do they know that you love Jesus? Like, do your neighbors, do they know that you love Jesus? Like, the, by the overflow of your heart, so the mouth speaks. So loving God with all of our heart, with everything in us, is going to be seen by what we, we talk about. He says, love the Lord God with all of your soul. Uh, there's a sense with the soul is, is about our affections, your affections, right, are the things that you long for. Your convictions fuel your affections. What you have conviction about is what's going to fuel what you're affectionate about. It's why we sing. And when we sing, we want to sing truths about God because those truths are convictions of which we stand. And as we are realizing the significance of those truths, we then can't have our heart but burst out of joy and enthusiasm for King Jesus. It's why when we're singing, you you can't help but get loud and thankful and boisterous about the goodness of God because the convictions that you have about God are fueling your affections for God. So loving God with all of your soul is this sense of, man, there's these things that are true about God, and I'm not, sometimes I don't, I don't feel them, but when I, when I sing that song that all of us sang, and we just have pushed it aside because, well, we're, we've moved beyond that, like, he, he's, got, he's got the whole world, like, in his hands. Like, you remember singing that, like, all the time as a kid? I mean, every VBS, that was like the thing, I haven't got the whole world. I mean, we're singing it. But you realize that when, like when you're walking through just some junk, that a conviction of, yeah, but, but like he's got the whole world in his hands. 
Like, why am I worried about X, Y, and Z when he's got it all under control? Like, the kind sovereignty of God grounds me. That conviction then fuels my affections to go, I don't have to worry about it all. Like, he's, he's literally got it in his hand. I can't keep water in my hand. And he has the whole world, which is like 80% water in his hand. Your conviction should drive your affections. Then he says with your mind. Like, rightly thinking about God is loving God. Look, I know that it's work to read God's word, but it'll be the best thing you could do. A preacher told me long ago that the first 90 days of your calendar year should just be reading the Bible. Just read the Bible the first 90 days. Don't read any other book. Let the first 90 days be filled with God's word. And you say, well, I don't like to read. But you know that's not true. Like I'm at the age now where I can't hear anything on the TV. Are you at that age? I'm at that age. So like we have the closed caption on, on everything. So now I'm not even watching TV. I'm just literally reading the TV. Like, well, who's that? I don't know, but that's the character's name, I think. But I'm just reading. Am I alone here? I don't feel alone. I, okay, <laughs> testify for me, all right? You, you say you don't like to read. I, Jeff, I see your hand. I, I, I have a sense that you might say to yourself, oh, I don't like to read. Do, do you ever wonder why it is a challenge to read God's word. Don't you think that the enemy doesn't want you to take in God's word? That's why it becomes a challenge. And loving God with our mind is rightly thinking about God. Obeying his commands is what 1 John 5 will tell us, that this is to love God, obey his commands. Well, you can't obey the commands that you, you don't know. So loving God with our all, and I think about how I could describe this, and I, I think about when, you, when you're falling in love, if you want to use that terminology, like when I was falling in love with Abby, I didn't want to do anything else but just spend time with her. What are you interested in? Let's do that. This is why, as uh, husbands, we often, you're into pillows, I'm into pillows. Uh, you're into purses, I'm totally into purses, right? You're into pickleball, let's go. I'm into pickleball, because that's the thing now. Whatever, like, like, it brought me so much joy. We're at this stage where, like, we could go out on a date. It was so fun. And, and to plan the date, and she's like, well, what are, where are we going? I was like, I, I'm taking care of it. What are we going to do? I've totally taken care of it. Like, it brought me immense joy to then just go, I just want to spend time with you. That's what I want to do the rest of my life. I want to do this with my all. And in the same way with God, it's like, I want to love God with, with my all. And so, so many of us are good with loving God with some of us, but not with all of our heart, soul, 
in mind. So, so answer part one is love God. And, and then he says this. He gives the second part of the answer. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. We, we don't have to be trained to love ourselves. We just do this naturally. When you're hungry, you seek out food for yourself. When you're thirsty, you seek out drink for yourself. When there's a potential job promotion, you seek out that job promotion. And, and none of those things are wicked or evil. But Jesus is saying you should love others. Love your neighbor just like you love you. You, you want success, you should want success for your neighbor. You, you want a, a, a great family, you should want a great family for those around you. you. You want good coffee, which Abby and I got to have on Friday. Got me a little affogato. You say, what's that? It's custard. Uh, it's, a, it's ice cream with espresso poured over it. Who doesn't want that? And so you say, well, I want that. Well, that's what I should want for my neighbor. You, you want... You want peace in your home. Man, you should want that for your neighbor. You, you want those things for you. You should want them for those around you. And you can say, well, well, can I love others and not love God? Because that's what we're seeing in the world today. Oh, just love. Just love. It's all love. Love is love. If you love others but don't have a love for God, you're actually rootless. You have no foundation. You have no source of life. You're like a flower that's been cut and eventually will die. But if you say, well, I have love for God, but I don't really love other people, we would say then that you are fruitless. You're bearing out no fruit of the gospel in your life. You claim to love God, but if you have no affection for other people and their needs and, and what's going on in their world, then there's evidence there that there's not much fruit bearing out from your love for God. Because when you love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind, you will then therefore also love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the question may come up in your mind, well, who is my neighbor and usually, and I've been asked that question from people who sincerely say we shouldn't love the world like we love our, our, those in this church building. There's, there's those inside these walls and there's neighbors outside these walls. You should love those inside these walls. There's a special care that you give, just like you give a special care you give to your own children. But then there's also a care you should give to other people's children, to neighbors. And so you're to to love them. In the, in the same way you want, have these desires for you, you should have those desires for others. You should celebrate what God has done in other people's lives and not become jealous or bitter of what God has done in their lives. This is and has been part of the danger of social media. Like, like it'll pop up on Facebook, it'll say, hey, here's some, here's some people you haven't interacted with in a while, here's some updates. And I'm like, there's a reason I haven't interacted with them for a while. You're not, none of y'all are on there, okay, don't worry. But you begin to go, well, man, their life looks so much better than mine. I mean, they just have all these, they take these great adventures and they're always traveling, all these, all these awesome things, all these awards that they're getting, but, but you realize that that social media is a, a snap, not even a snap, it's just such a small amount of what's really happening in somebody's life. And you don't know the battles that somebody else is facing in their personal life. 
We're to love our neighbor. So answer one, love God. Answer two, love people. I mean, even Jesus will say this, and this comes down to the point. Look at at the last verse. He says, all the law of the prophets depends on these two commands. Because you hear this about loving God with your all, and you're going, man, I don't love God with my all, and you're saying, love, love other people just as you love yourself. It's like, man, I love me some me, but it's hard for me to love somebody else. And I'm feeling, maybe you're feeling like me, this weight of guilt that you don't love well. That's not the point of the message. The point of the message isn't for you to walk out going, man, I am a terrible, I'm terrible at loving God, and I'm terrible at loving other people. Shame on me, I should try harder. Part of the point, I think that Jesus is getting, I said all the law and the prophets depend on this, the obedience to this command, or depend on these two commands. I think what Jesus is getting at is to tell you, you can't do it. Paul says in Romans 5.8, God proves, or God demonstrates, or God bears evidence of his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The only one to perfectly love God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, and to love his neighbor as himself was Jesus. And the good news is that it was on the cross of Jesus Christ that he died in your place to say, hey, you failed to love God with all of your heart. You failed God to love with all of your soul. You failed God to love with all of your mind. And you totally, because I've watched, failed you to love your neighbor as yourself. But you know what? Jesus proves his love for you in that while you were still separated from God, he died for you. This is the gospel. And so Jesus is saying, hey, this is all fulfilled in my death and sacrifice for you. And so you don't walk away going, oh, we should try harder. Oh, the weight of the guilt of the ability of us to follow the law. That's not the point. The point is to go, but thanks be to God that even though I failed to live up to the standard, he died in my place to cause me to bear out his righteousness the good news and so all this depends not on your ability but on his completed ability so you walk away embracing the good news of the gospel saying I can't do this on my own but I can if he has saved me I've admitted my my sin has caused a separation between me and the Father. And by admitting that I'm a sinner and then believing that only through Jesus I can be saved and confessing him as Lord, then, 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 oh, then, his full obedience to this command is transferred to me as if I always obeyed. It's the good news of the gospel. And then... Jesus, he, he, when he ascended into heaven, he, he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, he, he corrects you. And, and he points out your failures. You're often using others to do it. I mean, listen, by Thursday morning before 9 a.m., I'd been rebuked twice. Not by anybody in my house. And it was a subtle reminder, you're not as 
you're not as sanctified as you think you are, Michael. You're not living as righteous as you think you are. A reminder that you need Christ. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And so this lands for us in two ways. One, you cannot fulfill these commands in your own strength. You have to come to a place where you've confessed Jesus as Lord. But secondly, it does land where we have to consider, am I loving God with with my all? I settle for so many lesser loves daily. I want to love God with my whole heart. I want my affections to be birthed out of my convictions for the Lord. I want to love God with my whole soul. I want to love God with my whole mind. That I want to pursue truth and right doctrine and of who God is and what he's called us to do. And I, I want to love others. I want to take action. So for us, if you're saved, just to say, hey, you need to be loving God. And you need to be loving others. You need to love those that are in this room. And you need to love those who are outside of this room. Jesus demonstrates it, and so should we. And you can't until you've received what he demonstrated to us. Have you received Christ? Have you trusted in him? Or have you bought into some idea about who he is? This morning, there's going to be those that are here at the front to just receive you. If you want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus, maybe for you, you've recognized, man, I, I've been walking around with this weight of guilt, and now I realize I'm not supposed to walk around guilty, but redeemed and remembering what he has done for me. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing together, but we'll be here at the front to receive you. Let's pray. Father, we come, and we are so grateful that you have been so kind to us to redeem us and to save us. And Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that, that so proves our desperate need for you. And Lord, you've been so kind to allow us to even open the word and to be in this place at this time and this hour to do so. Lord, we're asking that we would be mindful of what you're speaking to us even now. So Lord, lead us as we respond in Christ's name. Amen.